I'm Effie Parks. Welcome to Once Upon a Jane, the podcast. This is a place I created for us to connect and share the stories of our not-so-typical lives. Raising kids who are born with rare genetic syndromes and other types of disabilities can feel pretty isolating. What I know for sure is that when we can hear the triumphs and challenges from others who get it, we can find a lot more laughter, a lot more hope, and feel a lot less alone. I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. Once Upon a Gene is proud to be part of Bloodstream Media. Living in a family affected by rare and chronic illness can be isolating, and sometimes the best medicine is connecting to the voices of people who share your experience. This is why Bloodstream Media produces podcasts, blogs, and other forms of content for patients, families, and clinicians impacted by rare and chronic diseases. Visit bloodstreammedia.com to learn more. Hello, rare friends. I am so grateful you're here today. Thanks for joining me. Uh, Just a couple housekeeping things. Please make sure and join our Discord chat. Bo Bigelow and I host a room on Clubhouse called Rare and Relatable. And we have a Discord chat throughout the week that goes alongside it. We've been absent on our clubhouse room for a few weeks, but we're back in action. So find me on social media and get the links, email me, or find them in the show notes. I can't wait to see you there. Also, I hope that you are tuning into the Rare Collection episodes of the storytelling series. The last one on Courage, episode 104, is just, oh, it's everything. And I've listened to it like a hundred times. Go check it out if you haven't yet. It is just so moving. I'm really excited to introduce you to my guest today. She's one of those highly motivated parents, but what I like about her is that she's so relatable and she's so honest in the struggles that we face every day as rare parents. She's currently the president and co-founder of the LCMD nonprofit, and she has a beautiful boy, Austin, who's just over two years old. The mutation on the LCMD gene results in a rare form of muscular dystrophy, and She is urgently working to find a cure for her son and other kids like him. Please enjoy my conversation with Hannah Lowe. Hi, Hannah. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Effie. I'm so happy to be here. Absolutely. Anytime Mike Gralia emails me and tells me what to do, I jump on it. So (laughs) you you definitely made the right connection there. I appreciate him, yes. (laughs) All right, Hannah. Well, let's talk about your family. I know you have two boys, one named Austin, who was the one born with that darn rare disease. Tell me a little bit about your family. Yes, I have two sons, Ian, who's four, and Austin, who is two. And last year, Austin was diagnosed with a rare disease, and we had no prior warning. It was a randomly occurring genetic mutation. And so he was about six months old when he was diagnosed. And for the first six months of his life, it was rough going, I will say, but nothing really totally out of the ordinary, if that makes sense, right? Like he had all these issues, but everybody we spoke to, we took him to all the various specialists and whatnot. And everybody kind of said, well, he'll grow out of the reflux or he'll grow out of the torticollis or he had a whole series of issues, but each one individually was kind of something that many, 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 many kids experience. And it wasn't until after we got the diagnosis that looking back and kind of putting all the pieces together, it made sense and was kind of like, oh, okay, yes, these are all symptoms 
of his disease, but anyone in isolation is kind of a thing that happens to many children. So what happened was basically he wasn't gaining weight. And so at around six months old after breastfeeding, trying formula, trying different formula, you know, going through reflux meds, going to the chiropractor, going to GI, everybody just trying to figure out why he wasn't gaining weight. Finally, he was admitted to the hospital to get an NG feeding tube just to make sure that he was getting the proper nutrition. And we were actually in the hospital for three weeks while they ran all sorts of tests trying to figure out the underlying root cause of why he wasn't gaining weight. Every test came back clear, you know, and then it was that last week when we were in the hospital when the genetic tests came back. And that's when they discovered that he has a single point mutation on the LMNA gene, which results in LCMD, which is a rare form of muscular dystrophy. And of course, muscular dystrophy was not on our radar because there are many kinds of muscular dystrophy and many of the ones that you typically hear about are inherited. And this kind typically is not inherited. It's typically just a random occurrence. And so in thinking about muscular dystrophy, we're thinking, oh, well, it can't be that because that doesn't run in our family. So that was a shock. And I know that so many of your listeners can relate to that experience of knowing that something is amiss, not really knowing why and trying to just treat the symptoms and figure it out. And then when you get the piece of the puzzle that puts it all together, it's just, I mean, fairly traumatic is what I would say. Extremely traumatic. I have so many feelings right now. I get queasy to my stomach just knowing exactly how that felt in those six months. I also have a twitch in my eye because I just like can't even with how much we're blown off as parents. And sure, one of the things is one of the things, but you had several of the things and you kept asking questions and it makes you feel a little crazy and it makes you feel, I don't know, it's mind blowing to me. I'm so glad at six months, finally, I'm assuming he was diagnosed with failure to thrive, which is why you were admitted into the hospital, which is something so many of our listeners have all been through. Everyone knows exactly (laughs) what all of that was like leading up to it. Yes, yes. And honestly, I feel lucky that it was only six months because I know some people are on this journey to find an answer for years or decades even. And I also know tons of people who have kids who were failure to thrive and then XYZ happens and it turns around and great, good to go, you know? So that was our expectation going into the hospital was, oh, we're going to go get him fed and cool. Everything will fall into line and we'll be home and live out our lives as anticipated. The other red flag that actually our lactation consultant was the one who was most concerned about was that he had stopped picking up his head in tummy time. Like he wouldn't even try. And of course you read all everything online that says, oh, it could just be a phase and the kids will turn it around. They'll pick it up. And She was like, I don't know, you know, kids don't normally pick up a thing and then stop doing that thing, right? Like hit a milestone and then regress away from the milestone. And that is one of the characteristics of this disease as well. It's like really weak neck muscles, torso, upper arms, and, you know, just progressive weakness until essentially he probably won't be able to move So like as of right now, he's two years old. He doesn't sit up. He doesn't hold up his own head. He spends a lot of his time rolling around on the floor. He can kick his legs. 
You can kind of reach for some light toys, light balls, things like that. And he goes in his stander, he goes in his gait trainer, he goes in his wheelchair. But it's just a different life than we expected, right? And like you said, you go around and you feel like you're searching for answers and you feel like you're asking the questions and you feel like people are, I don't know, they're not on the same page as you with trying to really get to the bottom of it. On the other hand, there were some days where I was kind of like, I just want to find a new pediatrician. Like I'm going to start taking him to all sorts of other pediatricians just to find one who tells me he's fine. It's fine. Because I feel like some of the doctors too were like, yeah, this is kind of weird, but we don't really know why. And just try this, just try that. And like you said, you kind of feel like you're going crazy because you're like, well, is there something wrong? Maybe there's nothing wrong, actually. Maybe I should just find somebody who's going to tell me nothing is wrong. And then I'll just go on living my life. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, Hannah. I mean, I hesitate to say I love that, but it's so (laughs) interesting, right? Like, what happens to our brains and when we are not validated in one way or another and what we do to seek the answers that we need or that are going to help us in some way. It's nuts. It is. When Austin was born, we had just moved from New York to Texas. And I loved, loved, loved the pediatrician we had in New York for my older son. And I loved our pediatrician we found here in Texas, too. But I just hadn't had that much experience with her to really know her style or anything. So when we were saying, you know, he's not really gaining weight, part of me was like, well, I wonder, you know, if we still lived in New York, would that doctor have cared? Could we have just kind of moved on? I don't know. You just have a lot of questions, right? A lot of second guessing and a lot of, what if I had done this? What if, you know, well, what if we had stayed in New York and I would have been pregnant in a different environment. Maybe it was some sort of environmental factor that played into it. I don't know. You just go down all these rabbit holes of what if we had done this? What if we had done that? And we didn't have any indications during pregnancy that anything was wrong. So it wasn't like we would have made any different decisions. But I don't know if that makes sense. Like that you oh, just yeah. start questioning. Like <laughs> we've, we've all done that. We've all been like, what did I take? What did I drink? Did I accidentally mess something up? Is it the water in my crappy old apartment building? You know, like you think about all of the situations that you were in. And if at any point you made something happen or Mm -hmm. not happen, it's a rabbit hole, exactly like you said, and it doesn't serve us. No, definitely not, because now it is what it is and we can't change it. So and even if we could have changed it, we wouldn't have known to change it, if that makes sense. Well, our listeners don't really know a lot about the ending of your story, but I do, which is insane. And it's one of the reasons that you're here. I mean, you're little boys, too, and you get this diagnosis at six months old. It's in the beginning, middle stages of a pandemic. And you take this little boy home, meanwhile, raising another toddler. What did you do? Yeah, well, I think like everybody can relate to you're just thrown into a whole new world a whole new routine, a whole new set of expectations or changing of your old expectations. Um, And he came home with a G-tube and breathing equipment. And it's just trying to wrap your head around your daily routine. So yes, this was about a month before the pandemic started or lockdown, et cetera. And I think actually a tiny silver lining for us for the, of the pandemic was that it forced us to stop and just live at home with this child 
and figure it out. You know, my husband wasn't able to leave the house to go to work. Our older son wasn't going to preschool anymore. Um, we weren't running to a million doctor's appointments because, you know, at that time, nobody was going anywhere. We weren't, they were just canceling everything, right? That wasn't urgent. So it did give us a nice chunk of time to be at home and kind of figure out his routine. And once we kind of were able to get that under our belt, then we turned our attention to just asking questions. What can we do? It's so, I don't know, mind-blowing, I guess, just that this one single DNA letter causes such a massive reaction in the body and such a massive you know, set of symptoms. And it's I think very we, annoying. It's so annoying because you're tearing so your annoying. hair out being like, can we just please <laughs> switch this one letter? Like it's yeah, not boop, masking boop. a lot. <laughs> um, so we started, I don't remember even like where in the chain we started. I think just our friends and family connecting us to other families they knew who were either going through something similar or had lost a child or worked in the biotech field or worked in research. And at that point, we were just talking to everybody and anybody, anybody, anybody could connect us with. It was like, yes, let's talk. Let's just try and gather as much information as possible. Luckily for us, LCMD already has a fair amount of kind of foundational basic research going on for the gene itself. It's a pretty interesting gene. And besides LCMD, I think mutations on that gene cause about 12 other diseases. So people were looking at it and, and there was already some information. So my husband started going down the, you know, academic scientific paper route and just reading as much as possible on the gene. And then, of course, when you start reading one thing, it leads you to another thing and you have to you say, well, I don't really understand this. So let me go read all the papers about that. And then something else comes up and you're like, I don't really understand that. Let me go read all the papers about that. And I tried to keep up for a little while. And then I was like, forget it. This can be your thing. And I'll do, <laughs> I'll do this networking thing. I'll do this chatting with folks on the phone. And you can do this deep dive on papers and research. What happened finally was that we just through the chain of, of networking and talking to folks, we got hooked in with a really wonderful group of other rare disease families who were working on treatments and cures for their own rare diseases. Because obviously when you get that diagnosis and the doctors say, there's nothing you can do and just go home, enjoy your time together, it's just gut-wrenching. And I think there's you go through all the different stages of grief and acceptance and you want to fight, you don't want to fight. You want to enjoy your time. You want to you know, quote unquote, fix it. Your emotions just go wild. But I think we felt like when we were looped in with this group of other families who were doing research for their own rare diseases, it felt right for us. And I think everybody makes their own decision as to like how they want to live their lives and what they want to do with that diagnosis. And I can also foresee that that changes over time as well, right? Like you're all hopped up and energized to do something. And then maybe 10 years down the road, you're like, I'm tired of this now. So who knows where our journey will end, but we still feel like we're kind of in the beginning of it. We just kind of kept putting one foot in front of the other, learning about potential therapies, you know, nothing specific, but like what projects do we need to do, scientific projects we need to do to even find out if there might be something that could help him. Um, of course, I'm sure most of the folks who are in this genetic rare disease world know about all the various 
DNA editing things that are on the horizon. And at least we're looking at it very hopefully, but of course, we're also, I think, realistic that, you know, with Austin's disease being progressive and severe, that we need to figure out what's possible right now versus down the line. And so, yeah, so we started a, a nonprofit. Again, just took it baby steps. Like I think I just posted in a Facebook group, does anybody know a pro bono lawyer who could help us start a nonprofit? And somebody came forward and they looped us in with their law firm and we started the paperwork. And then they said, okay, you need you know, a board of directors. Okay, like who can we loop in that has a diverse set of skills and backgrounds that will make a cohesive team? Okay, let's do that a woman who their foundation was maybe six months ahead of ours. And she sent me all these documents that she had created for her first board meeting, for her board of directors kind of intro packet of information. And that was a great jumping off point for me to just organize all of our information and all of our thoughts. And so it really was just taking these baby steps off the shoulders of everybody who was willing to help us which we definitely couldn't have done it without so many people offering up advice and help and and tools. You know, it was kind of a slow process, of course. I asked for a pro bono lawyer help in like May of 2020. So we got the diagnosis in February of 2020. I'd say we took like February and March to really wrap our heads around life. And then in April and May, we just networked like crazy found this group of folks who could offer us some guidance and like the roadmap for what you might be able to do to try to help create a treatment for your genetic disease, which is just wild to think about too, right? That we as, I don't know, lay people can have some driving effect in science that might help the world, I'm going to say, right? Like no matter how many people might be affected by any one of these specific rare diseases, I think as a whole, we're kind of slowly turning the tankership of science yes. and of uh, how research is done and hopefully opening everyone's eyes to the fact that the way it's been done is not, it's just slow and it's just, there's got to be a better way. I have so many thoughts and <laughs> I noticed so many things from what you're saying, but I'm just like hanging on to your story. I love that you found the Rare Disease Crusaders group and... I especially want to point out the fact that how helpful other families and other researchers are in this game to making it all work, right? Asking and having people just automatically share their homework, we call it, to make the next person's journey faster. Because like Mike says, time is brain. And you have to get these things going. You called them baby steps, which is laughable because each thing that you did is so tedious. And so time consuming and so out of most people's wheelhouse. But the grit and the urgency, there's no other option that families like yours has is just one of the most amazing things I've ever witnessed and witness all the time. And I just think it's amazing. And I'm so glad that you found them. And I'm so glad that this is the mission that you and your husband decided to take together. And I also find it really interesting that you have all this awareness. You know, you said like, this is what we chose to do, but maybe that'll change. I think that's really important, even just for your mental health, Hannah, because I, I hear from parents who did burn out in that and who had to stop or who let it go or whatever, because 
it's a marathon, right? Like we always say that too. And I think coming at it from the beginning and just knowing that maybe you have to pivot one way or another is really going to serve you. Yeah. Well, thank you. That's not a realization that I came to lightly. And I think right at the beginning, at least, truthfully, I could not understand folks who I spoke to who maybe chose a different path. I th- I mean, I think it was pretty, that's embarrassing to say, but true that I, you know, if, if I spoke to somebody who was like, we looked at that, but we chose to, you know, just live our lives to the best we can. Or we did X, Y, and Z. We went as far as we could. And then we just, we, that was it. We couldn't do any more. I think part of me was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. Like we would never give up. Like we got to keep going until like the end of the earth. But then being in it for a little while longer, you see that that's a totally valid outcome, whether that's your mindset right at the beginning, in the middle, after years. You hear what you need to hear in the moment, right? And whatever you're trying to accomplish or push away. Totally. I mean, you did this so fast and everything is moving so swiftly for for your organization and what you're getting done. I wonder what are some of the main roadblocks that you've had to encounter that one shouldn't be there, shouldn't be such an obstacle for parents and what would you do differently? Oh, those are good questions. You know, you say it's moving so swiftly. And of course, I will say it never feels as <laughs> swift as you want it to be. Because yeah, we started the non-for-profit journey in May of 2020, probably submitted the 501c3 paperwork to the IRS in like October of 2020. Didn't get the 501c3 designation till say March of 2021. And so here we are in what, October, November of 2021. And that that all feels like a really long time. But we did feel lucky to be able to find researchers and scientists who were willing to take on the challenge of this disease and help us brainstorm ways in which there might be some therapeutic options for it. You know, the biggest hurdle, challenge, roadblock that I think we've come up to to date, it's not really necessarily any one thing. It's just that I think it's the mindset and the expectation versus reality. When we first started out, so many researchers we spoke to said things like, the pace of research is slower than the progression of the disease, or the pace of research is slower than you're going to want it to be. And I think my husband and I did not accept that. And we thought, no, there's got to be a better way. If you throw enough squeak at it, right? Like the squeaky the squeaky wheel gets the oil. <laughs> it's like if you throw enough squeaking at it, it, we can get the wheels moving or throw enough money at it or whatever it is. <laughs> we got to be able to figure out a way. And so I think the biggest challenge has just been the mindset shift to like, no, these people were correct, actually. <laughs> Things are not moving. <laughs> Although you're doing this and you're living in a pandemic where they literally did that. They changed the timeline for science moving at a pace because something was squeaking. So true. So true. Which is frustrating and exciting at the same time. Absolutely. I don't know that we necessarily would have or could have done anything differently because I also felt like the folks that we've found who are willing to help us who we decided to partner with I'm like very pleased with our with what they're doing with our relationship yes of course we we would love it if it could go faster but oftentimes it's out of their control right it's not because they sat around for six months twiddling their thumbs it's just because it is what it is so we have to 
understand that. It's funny. One researcher that we've been working with, she sent us a paper that recently got published with some data from Austin and some other affected individuals. And I turned to my husband, I go, oh, that was so fast. They already got this paper out. He goes, Hannah, we started talking to them like a year ago. I was like, oh, well, I don't know. It still seems fast. <laughs> but, that does seem fast. That's lightning right. speed. I know. It's all about, it's, I think it's just all about your expectations. And I think also I'd kind of forgotten about it a little bit, to be honest with you. <laughs> and so when it came back, I was like, oh, wonderful. This is great. Yay. It's like a little present. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I know you had a mission to raise $2 million before Austin turned two, which was recently. How much progress did you make for that? Austin turned two in August of 2021. We reached $1.2 million by his birthday. Dang, girl. Yeah. So it was very exciting. Obviously shy of our goal, but we knew it was an ambitious goal. And we're just so grateful and so thrilled to everybody who helped us, who donated, who spread the word, who you know, hosted events, et cetera, et cetera. We really launched our fundraising in February. So just about six months. Congratulations. Thank You're you. going to have to have a separate class on raising that amount of money in that, in that short of time. <laughs> we can definitely talk about it. We can definitely talk about it <laughs> for sure. I will also say I did not invent the strategy that we used. I learned from others as well. So that's what you have to do. <laughs> so what about your experience over the last couple of years has inspired you to not only just race for a cure for Austin and other kids like him, but to actually speak up about it and come on podcasts and do what you're doing right now? Well, I think that the more awareness there is for all of these rare diseases and the lives that people are living is just so important. And I am so appreciative for folks like you who are putting it out there into the world, who are providing this platform to share stories, to share information, to share strategies, because like I said, we couldn't have done what we did or gotten where we've gotten to without the help of so many people. I feel like we've accomplished a lot, but we also haven't, you know, reached the ultimate goal. So we know there's a, a there's still a long way to go. And I just, I'm a firm believer of the more people you talk to about what's going on, the better. And you never know who's listening, who you're talking to, who they know, what it's going to jog in their memory, you know, or in their mental Rolodex to, to lead somewhere down a totally new path. So I feel like I'm just trying to walk this life with like the most open mind and the most open heart and connect with as many people as possible about our journey, about their journeys. And yeah, I truly believe that we all just have to be here to help one another. Amen to that, Hannah. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> What has been like one of the biggest like sources of relief in the last while or one of the best resources that you've found, whether it's for the foundation or for you as a mom or for you being a parent to Ian, like what has really just kind of been on your heart lately that has kind of, I don't know, given you more hope in a different direction. It's funny, when you first started the beginning of that question, I was just going to say, well, I found these really delicious coffee ice creams. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which is just combining two of my favorite things. <laughs> I love that. And giving me strength throughout hey, the day. That, dude, that counts. Yes. Um, 
But no, for actual resources, this A, this rare disease crusaders group of other families has been a huge just grounding rod, I think, for us. The support of our family at every step of the way. Honestly, this might sound kind of weird and corny, but we're using a fundraising platform called Give Butter. It's givebutter.com, I think, and it's like a free fundraising platform. And it's a small team of people and they are so kind and so outgoing and provide so much support and resources. I just really can't recommend that enough for really anybody who's fundraising, whether you're a nonprofit or just a person. Yeah, they've made it very fun and easy and not a pain to actually fundraise, which is kind of a not a thing that comes supernaturally, I think, to a lot of people. That platform has been a very good resource for me personally. Very cool. Thanks for sharing that. I haven't actually heard of that one before, so we'll link it in the show notes because everybody here listening today is always trying to raise money. Absolutely. Uh, (laughs) Yes, I love that. Cool. Well, Hannah, is there anything that I didn't ask you or something that you want to make sure to leave with everybody listening? I just would say that between the pandemic and between this rare disease diagnosis, we've really been forced to live in the moment, whether that's like minute by minute or day by day. And kind of that mindful approach to life was something I had already been working on personally, even before the kids were born and everything. So I find it a source of comfort and a source of ease to be able to plan for the future, but also just try to enjoy the day to day, which I know most people can probably relate to who are listening. And I also just want to say that we're not all alone. And whether it's me or somebody else in the community. Like I'm always happy to talk to anyone who's going through something similar, no matter where in the journey and particularly maybe at the beginning of the journey of the diagnosis, because that stage you can feel quite at sea. I just want to offer that up too, that I'm always available. And um, if you want to link to any of my contact info, feel free. Hannah, (laughs) everybody just rewind that for like four times, click the arrow (laughs) and listen to that again. Yes. Living in the moment. Yes. 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 All of that. And it always takes my breath away how giving of time and comfort parents like you offer up. So thank you for doing that. Uh, Because someone listening right now is resonating with everything that you said, and you might be the one that changes the course of their of their journey in this rare disease life. So thank you for being my guest, Hannah. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this show with your people and please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate y'all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you.